Hey, have you guys ever heard of the term, the writing's on the wall? Ever heard that term, you know, the handwriting is, is on the wall? Um, usually it means what? Bad, right? You know, bad is going to be coming. Bad news is coming. The handwriting's on the wall. And, and it's really, this, these are signs of bad things to come. You, you know, this candidate got elected. Oh, no, you know, the handwriting's on the wall. Or the giant starting pitching his shot. Oh, no, you know, the handwriting's on the wall for how the season's going to go. You see that? And, that, and that's a common phrase. We, 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 we get that. Next couple of minutes, we're, I'd want actually um, us to spend some time uh, letting God work through us as we hear really where that phrase came from and what it's really all about. And, and I guess say, you know, the question, what might God be writing on, on your wall, on our wall? Let me take a second and pray. Can, can I? So, Lord, thank you now for this moment. We have this time and, and honor it. May you use words that uh, I share and your Bible shares that touch our hearts in Christ's name. Amen. Thank you. Our series that we are in is called Unshakable. And um, it's like God gives us this really cool story in the Bible book called Daniel. And Daniel, you know, Daniel in the lion's den, kind of a guy, he's, he's like good in, 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 in everything. I mean, he, he rises to the top all the time. and He's always doing the right thing. People slam him. He responds back by doing the right thing. He's tossed in a lion's den. He does the right thing. And he doesn't compromise. He doesn't cave. You know, he doesn't do any of those kinds of things. Now, now where Daniel was living in the, the, the time and the place was back around 500 B.C. And history would tell us, if you go back in your history books, that the Babylonian Empire was the big dog at the time. Okay, Babylon was the big dog. They had taken over and conquered most as the empires rose and as the empires fall. But they, they were crumbling, as all kingdoms eventually do. They were beginning to fall apart. And there is a new kid on the block, and they're getting um, one direction in becoming in sync with where God wants them to go. Okay. And they were becoming larger than life. How about that one? So, And forgive my... Uh, my apologies for making up boys' bands in this one. But the Medo-Persian Empire was knocking at their door, okay? They had risen to the top. They were now conquering all kinds of nations, and their target was now set squarely on Babylon. In fact, they had conquered most of the territory of Babylon, and when I said they were knocking on the door, they were. They had surrounded the city of Babylon itself. And they were right there. Now, the, the, the residents of, of the city weren't that concerned because their walls, they had, they had prepared for this. Their walls were like 100 feet high and about 20 feet thick. So they're not going to come in through that way. And, and, and they, have, they figured out if we ever get under siege like this, we're going to get all covered. So they have food enough for 15 years. They have land set aside inside the city walls crops. They even have a water supply. They've actually had the river come right through the city, and it's going through a little opening here in the wall, and it runs right through the city. So they have a fresh water supply. They're, they're set. They're made, and they hope they're going to just kind of wait this whole thing out. And so Babylon is there. They're just kind of all entrenched in. And in order to kind of build some morale for the city, the king, whose name is Belshazzar, he's going to give a little bit of a, of a party, okay? And, 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 and here we go. It says this, King Belshazzar gave a great feast for a thousand of his nobles. Now, there are certain people in life I find hard to like. I don't know if you, you have that experience. There are certain people in life I just 
have trouble liking? This is one of them. This guy's one of them, and, and you'll see why. While Belshazzar was drinking the wine, he gave orders to bring in the gold and silver cups that his predecessor, Nebuchadnezzar, had taken from the temple in Jerusalem. Why? He wanted to drink from them with his nobles, his wives, and his concubines. This guy's living for wine, women, and song. And what he said is, you know, the, the, the special things, the holy vessels we took from Jerusalem? Hey, let's bring them in and start taking shots from them. How about that? You know, wouldn't that be fun? Um, this is not good, by the way. So they brought these gold cups taken from the temple, the house of God in Jerusalem, The king and his nobles, his wives and his concubines, drank from them. While they drank from them, they praised their idols made of gold, silver, bronze, iron, wood, and stone. See, I don't like this guy. You know, he's like making a whole mockery of of another faith, of another religion. I mean, I don't like him from the get. He probably didn't even send his mom a Mother's Day card, you know. (laughs) And uh, he doesn't use his turn signal, but what he's doing is he's drinking from, he's drinking from God's temple stuff, the holy things, while he's praising his own God. Big drunk, party animal, you know, just, God. He takes the holy items from the temple, and they're playing beer pong, okay? That's what they're doing. Suddenly, the fingers of a human hand appeared and wrote on the plaster of the wall, near the lampstand in the royal palace. And here you go. This is where we get the whole idea of the writings on the wall. The king watched the hand as it wrote. His face turned pale, and he was so frightened that his knees knocked together and his legs gave way. That would be Hebrew for he freaked out. And so this hand appears. You know, there's writing on the wall. What does it say? All the king's wise men came in, but they could not read the writing or tell the king what it meant. So King Belshazzar became even more terrified. His face grew more pale. His nobles were baffled. They didn't know what to do. So who are you going to call? Well, they're going to bring Daniel in. So Daniel was brought in before the king. You got it so far? You know, the party's just come to a grinding halt, you know, because there's this big writing on this big wall that's right there. The king says to Daniel, Daniel, if you can read these words and tell me their meaning, you will be clothed in purple robes of royal honor, and you'll have a gold chain placed around your neck. You'll become the third highest ruler in the kingdom. Big. That's a, that's a pretty big deal. Daniel, you'll have robes of honor. You'll be third highest in the kingdom. This is large stuff. So how is Daniel going to respond to the king who's all-powerful and can raise him up to the high position. Well, Daniel has, come and has seen kings come, and he's seen kings go. He's about 80 years old now, and, and he is very strong in who he is and his faith. And he comes in. He looks around. He sees what's going on, you know. He sees the temple stuff, you know, that was, that was taken from Jerusalem. He sees the vodka and the beer chasers, you know, and the tequila and the Jack Daniels all spilled there and all poured into the, into the holy vessels. And now normally Daniel has huge respect for the king. You know, he usually has lots of respect and honor for the king. Not this guy. The Bible says Daniel answered the king, keep your gifts or give them to someone else. It's like, I don't, I, I don't want anything to do with you. And then he's going to lecture the king. 
He says to the king, you've set yourself up against the Lord of heaven. You have the goblets from his temple brought to you, and you and your nobles, your wives, and your, and your girlfriends, your concubines, drank wine from them. You praise the gods of silver and gold, of bronze, iron, wood, and stone, which cannot see or hear or understand. This is a beatdown. But you did not honor the God who holds in his hand your life and all your ways. Therefore, he sent the hand that wrote the inscription. This is the inscription that was written, Mene, Mene, Tekel, Parson. Now, now the words are there. Um, they are translatable into English. Mene means numbered. Tekel means weighed, and Parson means divided. Numbered, weighed, and divided. Um, well, what does that mean? Daniel goes on. This is what the words mean. Many means numbered. God has numbered the days of your reign, has brought it to an end. Tekel means weighed. You have been weighed on the balances, and you've not measured up. Parson means divided. Your kingdom has been divided and given to the Medes and the Persians. Boom. You know, there it is. You, king, your days are numbered. They're just numbered. You, king, you, you fall way short. And you, king, your kingdom is going to be split up and given to the Medes and the Persians. It's, it's done. You, you, days are numbered. Life has been weighed and fallen short. Your kingdom's divided. Then at Belshazzar's command, Daniel was clothed in purple. A gold chain was placed around his neck. And he was proclaimed the third highest ruler in the kingdom. That night, Babylon fell. That was the end of the Babylonian Empire, was that night. In fact, while this was going on, and history will record that, the Median army discovered that no one was guarding the gate where the water came into the city. The guards there were either drunk or they were at a large party, okay? And so what the Median, Median army did is they just simply diverted the river around the city and walked right through an open channel. The Bible says that very night, Belshazzar, king of the Babylonians, was slain and Darius the Mede took over the kingdom. And right now you're thinking, wow, happy Mother's Day. You know, I mean, what kind of a message is this? You know, what an uplifting, build-up message this is. But there's a couple takeaways that, that I want us to, to, to bring in, and then we'll kind, of, we'll kind of turn it around for what God might be saying to us. One is, some things are just too important to mess around with. Just, just remember that. Some things are just too important to mess around with. They had their drinking games, you know. They kind of entered Margaritaville with the vessels from the temple, you know. And, and, and um, you know, there's just some things you just don't play around with. And I think that's kind of one of them, you know. Um, now, now, I understand objects are not holy. Objects only represent things, okay. 
Objects are, are just simply like that. They just, they just represent things. Now, back then, God said, this stuff's important. And the way you treat these things are the kind of a reflection of the way you treat me. But objects really don't have any, quote, holiness in, a, in and of themselves. We serve the Lord's Supper here, you know, once a month. And, 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 and if you ever come here, if you ever have here, you know, we have these little plastic cups that have grape juice in them. And then we have these little bowls of, of, of they're oyster crackers, okay? That's what they are. They're oyster crackers. Some people say, oh, man, where do you get these special communion bread? I just say, I don't know. <laughs> I, I'm pretty sure it's Safeway, you know, on this one, because you just think, yeah, yeah. And, and, and when, we're, when we're all done and we're kind of cleaned up in the kitchen, you know, the crackers are all there, and kids come up, and what do they do? They grab handfuls, and they eat them, and I just think, ah, ooh, you know, and while it's not bad, it just seems kind of what? It just seems kind of weird, you know, like, you're probably, I don't know if you should do that. It's kind of the same thing I have with, with my old Bibles, I have a lot of old Bibles. I mark them up and kind of read them. And they're all worn out. And I don't use them anymore, but they still stand on my shelf. You know why? Because it just seems wrong to throw them away, you know? It just, even though they're just paper and it's what, you know, God speaks to you through them and all that kind of stuff, it just seems a little, little odd on that. You know, it just seems different. This building isn't holy. It's not a sanctuary where the holiness of God resides it's a building. It's made up of drywall and screws and metal studs and, and whatever else, and wood ceilings, whatever else is in, in here. Um, but it becomes a special place when the people of God come in. When we come in, it becomes a place dedicated and set apart for God. And so the things that really are holy is God is. I know I didn't have that on your insert, but you can write that one down. God, God is holy. Treat him as such. Holy means set apart, special. Treat him as such. God is that way. And you are. People are. Believe it or not, the Bible says this. Even before he made the world, God loved us, chose us in Christ to be holy and without fault in his eyes. You know, people last forever. People will last forever. Everyone in this room is going to last forever. Somewhere. Somewhere. They will. And boy, sometimes we're just so tempted to put down other people or to... Hold on to unforgiveness to other people. When God says, man, those people, they're, they're holy. They're holy. C.S. Lewis, great statement when he says, if you were to look at what we would consider the lowliest person in church, if we were to see them someday glorified the way that we will be when all this human stuff is stripped away and you know, we'll be in eternity with God, um, if we were to see them today like someday they will be revealed, we would be tempted to bow down and worship them as a god, you know? Is the lowest, you would think, the quote, lowest person in Christ. God has said they're holy, and that's why we forgive, and that's why we let go of sin, and that's why we show love, and we show respect, and we give justice and care because they're people. And then church family is. That's holy. The Bible says that we would be a glorious church without a spot or wrinkle or any other blemish, holy and without fault. Next thing um, um, I, I yank from this is, is, is we, need to, we should grow from Scripture, grow from what the Bible says. The Bible says these things happened to them, talking about these kinds of situations, as examples and were written down as warnings to us, meaning warning, 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 don't do stupid things like Belshazzar does, okay? Now you're not thinking, I'm not going to sneak in and steal little communion cups and you know, take shots from those kinds of things. I know you're not going to do that. We don't do that, but it's learn from the types of attitudes that they had and grow from those 
Daniel, before he interprets the dream, he just rips into the king. He says this, The Most High God gave sovereignty, majesty, glory, and honor to your predecessor, Nebuchadnezzar. He made him so great that people of all races and nations and language trembled before him in fear. But when his heart and mind were puffed up with arrogance, he was brought down from his royal throne and stripped of his glory. You are his successor, O Belshazzar. You knew all this. Yet you've not humbled yourself and you've not honored the God who gives you the breath of life and controls your destiny. You knew this stuff. You know, you knew it. You knew all about this. And yet you still puffed yourself up and thought you're bigger than God. But the big question um, I, I kept asking myself this week would be, what would God write on what? My wall. What would God write on my wall? If God's hand were to appear and write something, what would it say? For some reason, I always think that if God were to write a message on a wall, it would be my garage door, you know, the inside of my garage door. I spend a lot of time um, in, the, in the garage working on stuff, you know, using tools with a lot of RPMs and BTUs and stuff like that, you know, man stuff in there. And, and I always figure that we have a big garage door I painted white to try and make it look nice. You know, I always figure if God were to write something on here on my life, it would be right there on my garage door wall. Well, what would God write on my wall? Now, now I, I get it. You know, I understand that we just looked at a story that's very condemning about a king who was a jerk, and the message was basically game over. Game over. I mean, that was the message. He got done, numbered, weighed, found lacking, divided. You're over. Game, set, match, strike three, ninth inning, bottom, you're out. That's it. And, and so we kind of approach this whole sense of God writing on my wall with a sense of doom, don't we? You know, holy cow, what would God write on my wall? It would be condemning. I, I finally watched that 90s teen screen, teen screen film, I know what you did last summer. Have you ever seen that one? I know what you did last summer. Don't bother. But anyway, it's a classic, and I sometimes watch this, this kind of campy little um, horror movies. And 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 you know the, the you know one of the one of the teenage kids, she keeps getting a note because they did something in the you know, bad in the past. She keeps getting a, a note that says what? I know what you did last summer. You know, I know what you did last summer. And so she keeps seeing these kinds of things, you know, and, and, and if you've seen the movie, you know, she tries to remedy the situation and try and fix it, and they think they have. And then she's at her, at her dorm room and, and, and written on the shower stall and the steam was, anyone you know what it says? I still know. Ah! You know, and that's what happened. You know, you, you kind of go out and that's, whole deal. You know, and, and then she gets attacked. Ah. And, 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 and that's how some of you view God. I mean, that's how we sometimes view God. God is writing on our wall. I know what you did last summer, you know. Or I know what you did last year, last week, last night, you know, last month, your whole life. And we try and fix it, you know, and we think we take care of it. And then what's written on that wall again? I still There's a wild little verse that's tucked into all this, and God's talk, or Daniel's talking to Belshazzar. He says, you have not honored the God who gives you the breath of life and controls your destiny. And there's a problem. There it is right there. I mean, that, that, that's it. You've not honored the God who gives you breath of life and controls your destiny. But another translation calls him this. 
the God who holds in his hand your life and all your ways. I like that, you know? The God who holds in his hand your life and all your ways. And I was thinking as I was looking at that, at that, at that verse, your response to that tells an awful lot about you, you know? How you respond to that statement and that phrase kinds of tips off your relationship to God. How you respond to what that says will tip off your relationship with God. If it's always, you know, God would write on my wall, you know, this God would write, I'm not good enough, I've messed up, I've screwed up, God is angry with me. You know, when are you going to get it right? You should feel guilty. If those are the kinds of things that are written on your wall, that, that will tell you an awful lot about your relationship with God. And if that's what you think he'd write, then it's time for you to take the next step in your spiritual journey because there's another step that you need to take. Now, you've got the right and the wrong thing down. You've got that down, and, and good, because that's an important part of it. You've got the fallen short right because we all have, and that's right, and the weight and the balance and you don't measure up, you know, we start there and we should start there. But don't stay there. Move to the next step, which is the grace thing. In our life group, um, we have a life group, and get in life groups and stay in them. They're really important to help you connect with people and just help you grow in your spiritual life. Um, We looked at this verse. We looked at this verse last Sunday. There is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. You know, what a beautiful, refreshing thing that is. I mean, isn't that great? Can you imagine that written on your wall? Well, guess what? In Christ it is. If you are in Christ Jesus, the writing on the wall says, there is therefore now no condemnation. None. There's nothing about scales, there's nothing about balance, there's nothing about things falling short, there's nothing about things getting all chopped up in your life. It is nothing but there is no condemnation for those in Christ. How about this one? If God is for us, who can ever be against us? Imagine that. You know, there's no condemnation. If God is for me, nothing can be against me. Because most people, even Christ followers, still have that feeling that they don't measure up, that God's still in a bad mood, and God barely tolerates them. Barely, you know. I'm not sure I read that in the Bible. That's not the God I see. And that's not the God that the Bible continues to present to us. I have a friend who's going through a ton. I mean, for years, he's just been going through an awful lot of stuff. And so periodically, we, we check in, check in with him, and I just sent him a quick email um, this week, and I said, how you doing? You know, how you doing? Um, yeah, that's the extent of guys' communication, by the way. It can be really brief, you know. Um, how you doing? And his response was short, but it was this. There's still a God, and I'm still not him, <laughs> you know, meaning God's still in charge, and I'm hanging on to him. God's writing on the wall as I'm still here. I am still And that's why I cannot tell you to continually read the Bible. And as you do, God will give you little Instagrams or little tweets or little things to post 
Underline those. Underline those. Those are what God is writing on your wall. Um, it was on Friday. I'm, I'm actually going through the book of Numbers, kind of on my quiet time. Numbers. You know, holy cow, if you've ever read Numbers, you know what that's about. I'm kind of getting dried out, so I turned and, and, and I found this. Something I'd underlined a couple years ago. Just helped me. It says, the Lord will work out his plan for my life. For your faithful love, O Lord, endures forever. Isn't that cool? Isn't that cool? Just a little thing that God posted on my wall at that point in time. So, uh, what would God be writing on your wall today? If God were to write something on your wall, what would it be? Would it be uh, words of condemnation, anger, things that make you feel guilty, uncomfortable? Well, move from that to words of grace, love, care, and forgiveness. Now, I have a little thing that we're going to do together um, for the next couple minutes. And I want you to take a moment before God and listen. Just listen. We oftentimes talk to God when we pray, but we don't oftentimes listen. And, and I want us to listen to what God would say to you. What, in a sense, would God write or be writing on your wall? And we're going to invite you to take a couple minutes to quietly listen to God's Spirit. And maybe the words he would write to you would be, hang in. Don't get hung up on worries. I'm in charge. Maybe it would be my grace is enough. He's a living God. Maybe it would be seek me deeper. Last night, the thoughts that came into my mind were just the three very most common words. I felt like God was just saying, I love you. That was awesome for me. Maybe it's forgive that person or be at peace or I've got this under control. Just the next couple minutes, what's God writing on your wall? Just listen for him.